Hey, listeners. If you enjoy going to space with us each week through our podcast or our vodcast interviews, can you help us out? It's easy to do. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a new episode. But we would be so appreciative if you would even go the step further to write a review wherever you listen, be it Apple, Amazon, or Spotify. Or you can even go to our YouTube channel, Aerospace and Innovation Academy. Leaving us the highest ratings helps us to move those algorithms, which helps us reach more like-minded listeners. If we've ever helped you or your student to enjoy the world of aerospace education, it would mean so much to us. And without further ado, let's get to this week's show. Let's go to space, Blue Sky Learning, episode 128, Fun with Physics. This episode, we interview student Natasha Waldorf. She's a senior majoring in physics and applied computer science at Whittier College, a small liberal arts college near Los Angeles. And due to the challenges of COVID lockdowns during her late high school and early college years, Natasha found online education made applying to internships and gaining research experience quite difficult. But she made the best of her circumstances by working at a county park nature center in southeastern Pennsylvania, learning about hiking trail maintenance and reptile husbandry. This may not seem relevant at first to physics or computer science, but the experience helped her to discover a love for the outdoors while developing her work ethic. Since then, she's gone on to intern at the Air Force Research Laboratory's small satellite portfolio in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as well as Lockheed Martin Missiles and Fire Control in Orlando, Florida, where she created tools for modeling sensor coverage and performance. Natasha reminds us that pursuing interests that may not always be specific resume builders can actually help set you apart in unexpected ways. And as always, we hope you'll stay tuned after for our takeaways. Natasha Waldorf, welcome to the show. For our listeners who haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, why don't you share a little bit about who you are and how you came to be involved with the love of space? Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm currently a senior at a small school called Whittier College, and I study physics and computer science. Um, I wasn't always interested in space. I used to just kind of be an arts and crafts like kind of kid, you know, always like to draw and things like that. But um, the Endeavour Space Shuttle actually flew over my elementary school on its final flight and just seeing that amazing feat of engineering going so close to me just immediately had me set my mind on I need to do something with space. And from then on, I've just immediately knew I was going to be at least going to college for physics. And from there, that's how I've gotten into engineering. That's fantastic. I think that was about, what, 2012 when they we're putting the shuttles out, sending them to the museums, right? Yeah, this was its final flight. Uh, I went to elementary school right outside San Francisco. So it was doing like a loop over the Bay Area and then landed in Los Angeles. That would be, I mean, I can't even, I'm just trying to visualize that now. That would be really impressive because it's like a big paper airplane kind of thing in your mind so, about how it even kind of goes through. So fun, yeah, fun story, cool. um, I got tickets to go to the last um discovery launch and then i'm in dc working at the national science foundation i go up to the top floor of this apartment building 21 21 stories i go up on the roof and then the 747 passed over dc so i got to see it 
as you would say, as it's going to the museum, right? And mm -hmm. then, of course, in Florida, for our listeners, the third shuttle that was um, left of the five, um, it's in Kennedy Space Center, uh, and it's the Atlantis. So I, those are special, right? Let me ask you, because uh, you are a kid. If you were in elementary school when the shuttle retired, that was 10 years ago, okay? <laughs> uh, why do you think they let or sent the Endeavor to California? That's a great question. I would say just because there's so many tourists there in California already, especially Los Angeles, that you're going to have opportunities for so many more people to be able to see it. And then, of course, you have the temperate climate, so it's easier to maintain, of course. But yeah, I mean, all the people that are already visiting L.A. for other tourist things, it really makes it more an accessible thing to be able to see, which I appreciate because I went to see it when I happened to be in L.A. for the first time. So I'm sure that's the same thing for everyone else. So, about, so you saw it twice. Wait a minute. So you saw it going overhead and then you saw it later as an adult. Mm -hmm. like, all right. Yeah, it, absolutely. I, I think they sent it to California because um, there was a company called Rockwell. And 50 years ago, they actually manufactured the shuttles in California. So I think that's how. Oh, well, California that makes sense. Bringing it home. <laughs> yes. But you're right. You want lots of people to have access to them. So oh, that's right. in that little video. Mm -hmm. at KSC, now that you mentioned it, like the Rockwell, I, were they just, okay? Yeah, right, Rockwell. So yeah, yeah. The, the shuttles were built in California. So let's talk about, first of all, obviously, one of the things that caught my attention were, uh, uh, among this very cool conversation I had with you at SmallSat was Whittier College. What the world, tell us about Whittier. What kind of school is that? Where is it located? How did you decide to go there? Because obviously, physics and computer science, those are great degrees. You're going to be very employable right? But tell us about your school and some of the strengths, you know, do a little advertising for Whittier. Sure. So probably no one listening has heard of it. It is a four-year liberal arts college just outside Los Angeles. So it's in LA County still about half an hour from downtown LA. When I was looking at colleges, I was looking for things in the LA area as I knew the aerospace industry has just been booming down in LA. Um, and I also... I was kind of intimidated by the larger schools like UCLA, UC Irvine, Caltech. I know that they have fantastic resources, but I thought, am I going to learn well if all my classes are going to be with 600 other people? I felt like I could really slip through the cracks that way. And Whittier it has about a thousand students right now. And my average class size in my physics major and computer science major, at least, I frequently have maybe like five other students in my class. So That's I work really well with the professors. I know them all on a first name basis. They know me. I can go right up to them for help on homework, help on applying for internship opportunities. I have that access that's really nice. And though my school has fewer research opportunities on its campus than, of course, a bigger university, I'm so close to downtown LA that, I mean, this is my first semester. I actually have time to be pursuing outside opportunities, of course, but um, I'm hoping that this year I'll be actually able to work in LA while pursuing my last year of my degree. So that's kind of why I picked it. Um, just also, I guess the last element is they have an integrated computer science degree as opposed to just a pure computer science degree. So it's basically applied computer science and I picked a physics, em a physics emphasis as I wanted to be able to do an interdisciplinary major. And then I'm double majoring in physics, which I know sounds a little bit redundant, but um, there I have that huge overlap so I can pursue physics-based modeling, which I've been really into lately. No, that, that makes so much sense, right? 
Years ago, they said, hey, you're getting this degree, but if you take four more classes, you can get a second degree. And I said, let's do that because mm -hmm. why not? Yeah. So uh, this is this seems very strategic and well thought out. Um, did this sort of bug come naturally to you or your parents STEM in, in STEM careers or are you sort of the outlier of your family? So most of my family is actually in the medical industry. My grandma's a therapist. Uh, my grandfather is a dermatologist. My dad is a software engineer, though. Um, my mom isn't interested in science at all. Uh, most of my family is not into at least engineering. So it's kind of in there in the family. You know, there's lots of my family that appreciates doing research, but I'm definitely the first going into aerospace. So it came naturally, but everyone was a little bit surprised in the immediate family. Like, where did she get this from? <laughs> I think it's cool that a liberal arts college even has the, the you know, that opportunity. And I think that it's important for, like, I'm not sciencey at all. When I first met Kevin, I was, you know, the English debate teacher and some of his kids were coming and talking to me about CubeSats. I was like, let me help you talk about it, you know, or whatever. So, but what I've learned in, in having spent all of this time with Kevin and our students is that there really is an overlap in any curriculum area when it comes to an industry like aerospace. So you can find something within it, regardless of whether it's I like doing arts and crafts or I'm starting to see a shuttle and I'm imagining how did that happen? How did they create the ability to make something like that happen? It's still creativity at the end of it. Yeah, I love the creative aspects of engineering for sure. You have endless opportunity. It's not like cut and dry. Like, I mean, of course, I respect mathematics. Mathematics has a little bit less room for being able to play around and see what you can create. And engineering really takes, you know, my favorite subjects, math, physics, engineering, computer science, and creates these amazing feats that we couldn't imagine, you know, decades ago. Yeah, that's right. So, um, well, I'm going to ask one non-STEM question, and then we're going to go back to the serious stuff. As a young person, are you a Star Wars or Star Trek fan or both? Uh, please explain. So my dad actually made me a Trekkie when I was pretty young. I had a sick day and he said, let's put on some of, you know, Star Trek. So I've only seen the original uh of episodes like the first three season with you know Captain Kirk and things like that um I do like Star Wars too but definitely have a soft spot in my heart for the original Star Treks of course wow you you've only got 2,000 more hours of content to get caught up right <laughs> yeah I have to find some free time to actually watch through at least the next generation I don't know if I can commit to watching the new stuff the reboots but I should at least you know be a little more aware of part of the nerd culture than right. I am. <laughs> so 15 years ago, I was teaching space camp and I would talk about how science fiction is really science of the future, right? It's just science that hasn't happened. And so we would show Star Trek clip about the communicators. And then I broke out my flip phone, which <laughs> uh, we had flip. We've already passed, you know, the flip phone. We're at smartphones now, but yes. I'm going to pivot a little bit to small set. I, again, that person who is non-STEM, I've actually gone to small set a few times with our students. And so I'm aware at how really impressive it is that all of these components of the aerospace industry come together specifically for, for CubeSats. How did you hear about small set? Is it, and what, what did it mean for you to be able to go? Like, what was your purpose in going? 
Sure. So when I was interning at the Air Force Research Laboratory, a bunch of my coworkers were actually going to small set that year. That was in last year in 2022. And I thought, oh, that would be so cool to go. But it was supposed to be the last week of my internship. They didn't want to be sending me out uh, so close to when I was supposed to be leaving. But they were they came back and they were telling me about how much fun it was, all the different booths and all the people they got to network with, the presentations. Like, I really want to go to that. And I ended up staying on at AFRL for an extra semester and I continued my research. And they said, you know, you could submit to SmallSat even if you're no longer employed with us. So, okay, that got the wheels turning in my head. So I ended up going back to school for spring semester and they contacted me saying, you still want to submit? I said, you know what, I'll go for it. So I submitted my abstract because I had a little paper already written. Um, I didn't expect to hear back, you know, I'm just a former, why would they want a former intern who goes to a very small school presenting at SmallSat, especially because my research wasn't with the development of SmallSats itself, but with an analysis of SmallSat capabilities. Um, and when I got a notification that I was accepted to present for a poster, I mean, I immediately got so excited, you know, at first I immediately was like, how can I afford to go? AFRL let me know they would sponsor me. And I just got super excited and I went there and was just awestruck by all the different professionals in all the different industries that all work together to work yeah, on Yeah, that's staff. what floored me too. Again, like nobody thinks about you when you think, okay, aerospace, the average person, myself included, was like, oh, astronaut and maybe engineer. Like you have no idea all the job opportunities that are available within that industry that are completely like just related, but not in that same vein. So I, I, what I like about what you're saying, so you get to do a poster. So there's that artsy kind of crafty thing again as well, right? Conveying something about your analysis on small sets. So tell us a little bit about your research that you started at the Air Force Research Lab. Sure. So I came into the Air Force Research Lab knowing nothing about satellites, like at all. So I was pretty, you know, in the weeds when I first got there and they let me know about their project, which was um, partnering with commercial satellites. And uh, they wanted somehow to be able to see what our coverage capabilities in terms of getting visual imagery of different places on Earth was. But they wanted to be able to automate that process because Systems Toolkit does allow you um to create heat maps for satellite constellations about what you can see and what you can't see in a given time period. But with so many um, so many satellites in the constellation, they're really struggling for if they changed their area of interest or if they're only interested in satellites with certain sensor types, they're really struggling to get a good picture of what our capabilities were with the current constellation. So what I did was automated uh, within STK, the process, STK being systems toolkit, um, that process of performing those calculations and generating heat maps, and then also built a little calculator um, that popped up within STK so that you don't actually have to know how to use STK in order to generate the heat maps. You just right. type in, you know, oh, did you have a question? Oh, I, I want to pause <laughs> because I want to help our listeners understand because you use some terms that lay people may not get. So you, you first of all, satellite toolkit, is a simulation software package that is fantastic. It lets you pretty accurately model what your vehicle does on orbit or if you're changing orbit. So you, it's a great simulation, but you use the word heat map. I think, I think uh, maybe you could explain heat map uh, in a way that uh, somebody the, who's the not- The of the world. Yeah, heat, sure, I, absolutely. I, I think it's a great, I, I think it's great imagery, right? But go ahead and, and just elaborate a little bit on what your heat map means. Sure, so a heat map is a way of de depicting the strengths and weaknesses of a system in terms of, let's say, in this case, a satellite that can see like 90% of the time a spot on earth, 
would be colored differently on the map as like, okay, this is red, is in that symbolizes 90%. We can see it 90% of the time versus let's say the satellite can only see 10% of the different region. That region would be colored, let's say blue to show like that's cold. We don't actually see a lot. So the heat is representing like the percentage. And in this case, the percentage of our time being able to see that region. So it's a really good way to easily visualize like what our weaknesses are like, okay, this spot, we clearly don't have a lot of coverage. So let's get another satellite uh, in the constellation that has an orbit that will then allow us to see that region better. Right. And, and may I ask, is your color code, for sake of simplifying, is your um, visualization tool based on an individual satellite's coverage of an area or a swarm or a constellation? A whole constellation. So uh, the way the calculator works is it calculates uh, the coverage for each satellite one by one in the constellation, and then I think it averages it. So Systems Toolkit fortunately does all that math for me, so I didn't have to do all that complex uh, math. Well, I guess it wouldn't be too complex, but I didn't want to have to do that myself, and I'm glad I didn't have to. Um, so then it averages out. So let's say if the entire constellation can see 100% of the time this area of interest, then uh, it would be color-coded red just to follow the terms of a heat map. It's more intuitive that red means hot is in like good and blue means cold is in not good. So I also wanted to make it colorblind proof so there isn't any green I believe in there. Um, but it's pretty easy to adjust well, the color thing. Right. As a physicist, I find the irony that you chose the flip, you know, us, I don't want to say the dumb Americans, but in physics, you know, red is the cool color and blue is the hot color. So it's, I know, uh, actually, I had originally done it that way. And my supervisor said, you should probably flip it. It's not intuitive for us acquisitions people who don't work with physics. Like, you're right. So I did flip it. Originally, I did do it that way, where blue was the good that's that's hot. But yeah, that didn't that didn't fly with the people who aren't used to working with that color scheme. No, I can. Yeah, I guess you're right. Visually, it's yeah, like yeah. And yeah. physics, uh, a hotter object will emit the photons more blue than red. I always teach the kids when you turn on the eye of the stove, it, it's orange first, and then it's red. But if you could keep making it hotter, it'd eventually be but even white like hot. The colors on your mm -hmm. also blue even for yes, that yes. You know? so, we yeah, we reverse the color on our faucet. That's so funny. Yes. Yeah, my the reason we... my shirt is a hot color. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we... yes, you just keep saying that. <laughs> yeah, we ended up flipping it because this uh, tool is going to be used by acquisitions rather than physicists. So it just made more sense to not have to deal with anything physics related if they could deal with it. So I did all the physics in the back end and tried to make it as intuitive so, and simple. Right. So what you've done in essence is you are a communicator. You have created a tool that helps take more complex technical information and makes it more user-friendly for a, a less technical audience. Absolutely, it goes back to the accessibility that I was talking about with the space shuttle. I wanna make data accessible to everyone. And in terms of this situation, it's accessible to just people on the program, but now anyone on the program, regardless of their role, doesn't have to be a scientist, could just be, you know, again, acquisitions or anyone like that could then understand how our program was doing and participate in improving our program. I'm going to pivot a little bit to college life. So I know you have a year left, right? Um, and you have done some internships. Are there any organizations that you participate with on campus or that also allow you to pursue your, your interests? Absolutely. So um, this last spring, I was inducted into Sigma Pi Sigma, the National Physics Honor Society. Um, we're hoping to start some activities for all the members 
probably in the coming weeks. Our semester just started actually on Wednesday, so we're very early into the semester. And then I'm also president of Physics Club. So I'm excited. It's been inactive the last few years due to me being one of the only physics uh, majors, but <laughs> now there are, there are a few others on campus. And so we're doing a recruitment activity this coming week. We're going to start doing weekly movie nights or at least bi-weekly movie nights for different physics movies, you know, like The Martian, Interstellar, and then simple experiments, things like bottle rockets and maybe hot and mini hot air balloons, just to kind of get encourage the underclassmen to want to get into physics because that's right. our issue is we have really good retention anyone who starts in physics wants to stay but it's hard to get the freshmen to realize physics is actually really fun and not as difficult as they make it seem in the movies so that's well, what i've right. been up to on you campus immediately think heavy math heavy math heavy math but yet when you are approaching it from that creativity aspect, it's a different, it's a different student that might be Man. open to those options. Yeah, I, I'm going to gently disagree and push back and tell you guys on the first day of school, I teach my kids physics is simply the mathematics of explaining the entire universe. That's what I think of physics. Well, I would drop your class it's, right away. It's, uh, I would be like, then it's not it's like 99% math, right? We, it, it, it really is. It is. Beautiful. And it's the elegant on the chessboard. That's the queen, right? That's the most powerful piece is mm -hmm. physics. But I think what she's saying, and it resonates with me, is that while math is certainly involved in physics, that you don't necessarily have to see yourself as a mathematician in order to fit in. So I love what she's doing is she's figuring out how to communicate the physics with people to make it well, you know uh, that we can acquire that knowledge but also how she's creating a little community through watching some of the well, like and being yeah, just to be able to I'm, like, share out i'm going to agree with you that physics is it's an incredibly desirable kind of program right it is vital in a number of industries and just understanding how the universe works has value unto itself regardless of you being employable but i i know and that i think of oh. <laughs> I was just going to say, I just know from my experience at my school, that was a tougher major compared to, you know, your business management types or softer, you know, a little softer degrees. Physics was a hard uh, course. And you're right. The kids that want it, I'm sure they're, if you're internally driven and you know, that's where you were meant to be, I could see that. And it absolutely is one of the more difficult majors. I've taken classes in pretty much all the programs at my school and physics probably is up there in terms of difficulty. But I think a large barrier for people getting into physics is not understanding the fun side of it. And once you can see all the cool things you can do with the math, the math becomes so much easier. Like I sometimes struggle with things like just, you know, advanced calculus. Like it's not the worst thing in the world, but as soon as the advanced calculus is applied to physics, it all clicks because you have a connection there. You understand what the math is actually doing. And so sure. that's what I'm really hoping to it sure. drive into the younger students is like, look, this is what's actually happening. So when you do the math and you're frustrated, think about what we're actually doing here. Think about how it relates to the physical phenomenon or phenomena. I forget which is the plural. Um, and you'll understand and it becomes so much more fun. Right, right. Honestly, one word will solve your marketing needs, lasers. If you just put a big laser somewhere at your table, I've, you know, even at the youngest age, kids love lasers, well, right? If you, if you can burn too. something or set something on fire or blow something up or maybe do some etching, uh, lasers always win customers. So. But you mentioned balloons and I'm wondering, because I think about how 
even the young kids at our school get excited about those high altitude balloons when you do. Have you done any, have you thought about bringing any high altitude balloons to the campus? I, I have not. I should look into that. So I know that our club funding is a little bit low, but we are allowed to do budget requests. So if I can get enough members to at least sign up and show there's interest, I bet, I bet I could see about doing that. That's a great idea. The, the concern is you'd probably have to go away from your campus because of the proximity to LAX and there's a lot of air traffic where you are. And that was always our thing is try to avoid, we're 11 miles from an international airport. So we want to- She could do a tethered one though, I suppose, right? Well, I mean, yeah, tethered, tethered but weather balloon, right? I think in the recent years, drones have supplanted tethered balloons as a mm. great way to temporarily put something at a certain altitude and that you can quickly recover. But bottom line is there's a lot of cool gadgets and toys to augment and help, I think, students that are seeking to do what you're doing. I want to pivot real quickly. You spent some time in Orlando. Is that something you can share? Uh, another experience you had as well? Yeah, sure. So I was in Orlando working at uh, Lockheed Martin as an intern um, at the missiles and fire control business area. So I was doing, um, again, kind of like a modeling uh, or physics-based modeling situation. I was creating, or in MATLAB, tools for visualizing sensor performance for infrared sensors. So I was creating it so instead of just having this huge mess of data, you hit run for a given flight test and it'll produce the graphs. That's about as much as I can talk about in terms of what I was working on, but it made it so much easier for doing flight performance analysis for everyone. And it was on the simpler side for sure in terms of a lot of the other people on the team were doing a lot more complex data analytics, but uh, me, I, and the other intern were working on just speeding up that process and doing that automation so that the the more senior team members wouldn't be wasting their time on doing the really convoluted math right. that we could easily speed up. Yeah, I, I, I don't want you to feel like um, you, you may have felt like you were doing the simpler things, but you were an intern at Lockheed Martin. And that in itself, that's a that's a great accomplishment, right, in your career path. And you made a comment about uh, being excited because your poster was accepted at SmallSat. I'm laughing because you're like, I'm a former intern at a smaller school, but you got to realize we got 12 year olds that are making posters for SmallSat. So you, you're halfway there already, right? You're more than halfway there. And, and speaking of that, if you could pick your ideal job when you graduate, what do you think your ideal first job out of your undergraduate college would be, or are you planning to go directly to grad school? So originally I was planning on originally going straight to grad school. Now that's a little bit more up in the air. I've been kind of leaning towards, hmm, maybe I should go full-time right away and just start part-time grad school immediately. But in terms of ideal job, probably, probably something classed as a systems engineer is I'm not super into the whole model-based systems engineering stuff, but I've found that systems engineering positions, when I read the jobs descriptions, often are kind of more of a general engineer, and they do a lot of stuff that I like to do, which is basic algorithm development, modeling of physics situations. I like it because it's a real blend of my interests. I don't like doing pure computer science, and I don't like doing, you know, theoretical physics, but I love doing applied sciences, and right. systems engineering typically does a good blend right. of all of that. Am I wrong? But when I think of systems engineering, I think of cross-connectedness between the individual components, the individual subsystems, the different parts of whatever mission or hardware, they all have to be integrated, right? They have to be mm -hmm. seamlessly integrated. 
and somebody's got to coordinate between the different sometimes uh you know we get siloed too easily but isn't that is that the systems engineering role as you see absolutely it? yeah sometimes it can be more of a project manager position but oftentimes it's the person who coordinates how different aspects of the program are going to interact with each other and you need someone who understands at least on you know a higher level what the different aspects do and i think that i could definitely bring that to a team in terms of that i've dabbled in so many different little aspects obviously i would need more training and things like that which is why i'm thinking of grad school for either systems engineering or mechanical engineering some sort of broad engineering that will help me advance that knowledge but systems engineering is becoming so much more and more important now that i feel like a lot of positions are becoming so separate from each other there's so many classes of engineering now it used to just be like oh you're an engineer and you do everything now it seems like oh well this is a uh, micro electronics engineer and this is an algorithm development engineer which is separate from a software development engineer it's all so separated now that you need someone a little higher up who can bring those specializations together Fantastic. so before i ask my last question about advice or whatever but i so I'm thinking every time we talk to somebody who's a student in, in, in like the idea that the engineering positions, there's so many different kinds of engineering. And then I, what you're saying is like, you're like, well, this one seemed to fit, you know, better suit the things that I'm interested in. There has got to be, or is there maybe like we take personality tests. We know like where we fall for the Enneagram or whatever. There's got to be an engineering test, right? Where you can kind of like fill it out. This is, you might be best suited for this, or you might, is there such a thing? I don't know. I probably should look into that because I took a career aptitude test a couple of years ago when I was applying to college and it told me I should be a mortician. So I think well, that they should probably develop a little bit better test, but I'm sure there's got to be an engineering. No, they one. need a specific one, right? For engineering. So like, which that actually takes what you're saying. Like I enjoy this part, but I don't enjoy this part. So mm -hmm. then by answering the questions, it would say you're perfect engineering. You know, maybe it'll be a test on, I don't know, TikTok or something. And you find out like, this is what you become. Anyway, yeah. that would definitely be useful. So, I should look into that. I'm sure that's something you could create it if you know something with the algorithm. You're like, so, create it. From what I heard, I want to just ask a question. So, you think your first job is somewhere, let's say, between Vandenberg, San Luis Obispo, and LA? Is that where you see your first job? That's tough because, as in terms of a first job, I would see a first job while I'm enrolled in college this last year, absolutely being in that area. But as soon as I graduate, I want to get out of California. So I really would be happy ending up anywhere. But I've really enjoyed, you know, I've interned in Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and Florida. And just every single one of those experiences, I really enjoyed. So I'd like to see my first first job out of school being somewhere else yeah. in the country. I love well, that. if you don't like snow, you've got oh, Florida yeah. and Texas. There's a lot going on there. Right, mm -hmm. a little bit in Alabama. Some at Blue Origin is in Alabama, but this this is great. Um, this is great. I I really enjoyed. You know, we I thought we had good conversation in small sat, and I was really glad. I, I hope you got to meet some of our kids. We had middle school to college there, uh, but uh, this has been great. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Well, so our last Absolutely, question, same here. He's he's ready to shut down before the advice comes. But I always like to close out with that because we do have students who are listening. We have parents, we have educators, and just some you know general enthusiasts. But I'm really always thinking about those kids. So if there are kids out there hearing you today who might be interested in physics or just in general the idea of a smaller school, anything like that, what advice do you have for our students today? Pursue things that you are interested in, regardless of if you are 
technically qualified or not because I've had multiple experiences take a chance on me because of my enthusiasm alone and it has paid off immensely you know my first real job was working at a park in Pennsylvania as a park ranger intern I I have nothing to do with that experience I mean I'm a physics and computer science major right but from there my enthusiasm got me to that job and they were able to write me glowing recommendations for my future internships. And I just applied because it sounded fun. And I think that people these days often are so focused on what will look good for my resume, but really don't let that stop you from pursuing things that are fun and interesting to you, even if it's completely outside of what you are, your background is, because it can still help you. I mean, this was a completely unrelated experience, but it helped me get a really good work ethic for, you know, doing hard work. I was outside for eight hours a day, five days a week working on things. And was it always fun? Not necessarily, but I really learned how to push through the difficult things. And that's helped me in computer science and physics. And then also, again, I made great connections who were able to recommend me for things more towards my career interests. So that's yeah. my advice for everyone. Do that's what's fun. Great advice. That is great <laughs> advice. Natasha, thanks so much. And I know that uh, I'm sure Kevin will be reaching out to you to talk to the Wolfpack, the other the students uh, sometime this fall. So thank you. Thank you again. Of course. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So uh, I've, I immediately uh, just remember such a positive experience I had uh, when I was, I visited Natasha and met her at her poster session. So she had a poster during the poster, first poster session on the weekend at small set this year. And I think our listeners would agree. Um, she just has good people skills. Yeah, I think, you know, she mentioned that she feels that some of the opportunities she's had were because of, you know, her enthusiasm. And that is apparent when you're talking with her. She just seems very open to whatever comes her way. And she's very affable. So um, I think yeah, that, that I think the she puts maybe people communicating with her at ease. At ease, yeah. And she has a style that's very... Um, well, she approaches it as what's fun, right? And you can see that about her. And I feel like that resonated a lot with me. And that's why I really think she should look into that idea of the fun of physics, because she has, there's something about her energy that exudes like whatever is the most fun for you. Like this is a fun conversation. This is a fun, she, if you approach life with the idea that everything you're doing, you're not having to do it, but you get to do it. That changes things. Well, and the other side of that coin, of course, is when she shared about her park ranger experience about the hard work. So don't think that there's going to be fun. Uh, you know, we don't, I don't right, want our listeners right. to walk away with only do the fun only stuff, do. but not the hard stuff. No, she's stuff. just saying, don't forget to yes. find the fun. In yes. it. And I think that it's your, the attitude with how you look at hard work. If you can find the fun in it, it's no longer hard work. It's the same right. thing that you guys say when it's like, find your passion. It's That's not work, right. right? It's if the you, same thing. Find the fun in it. Right. And if you reorder the statement or sentiment, it's when you are able to work in the field that you love, it's really not work. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, this was a great interview. I and, totally hope she comes and, and talks to the Wolfpack. She so is going be to be working with our, um, she's going to be working with our coding kids as we prepare two uh, proposals for mm -hmm. flight opportunities for our WolfSat one. Awesome. Well, as a reminder, if you haven't hit that subscribe button, we ask you to do that right now. Make sure you give us a review as well. Five stars helps us to reach more people like you. And we hope that you'll join us next week when we say, let's, let's go, go to space. space.